You're listening to Jar of Hearts by Jennifer Hillier. Read for you by January Lavoie. Toothpicks in her eyes. That's what it feels like to Geo after a short, terrible sleep. Her internal clock woke her at 5.45 a.m., which is when the bell always goes off at Hazelwood, signaling the start of another bleak day. She's still on prison time. Her dad, surprised to see her in the kitchen so early that morning as he was leaving for work, reminded her that it would take a while to readjust to normal life. Whatever the fuck that is now. Gio's on her second Starbucks grande of the morning as she meets the gaze of one of the mortgage specialists at her local bank, a rude woman who seemed to dislike Gio the minute her name popped up on the screen. Gio had asked to see someone else, but as she didn't have an appointment, this was who she got. I can't approve you for a mortgage, the woman says, folding her hands in her lap. I'm sorry. You could try another bank, but they'll likely tell you the same thing. There's no desk plaque, but the woman has her diploma from Puget Sound State University framed behind her on the wall. Mona Sharp undergraduate degree in finance with a minor in communications, graduated three years after Geo did. Well, Mona Sharp, your communications skills suck. I don't need a lot, Geo says. As you can see, I have enough to put 65% down on a house price of, I'm sorry. I've maintained excellent credit, Geo says, keeping her breathing regular and even. I've owned two properties before, and I've had a checking account at this bank since I was 12. If that means anything to you. We certainly appreciate your loyalty. I really want to speak to your manager. The woman sighs, then leaves the office. She returns a few minutes later with the middle-aged man Geo had hoped to see when she first walked in. Harry Rudnick has been the bank manager at this branch for over 20 years. He's also a friend of her father's. Georgina, come on into my office, Harry says. We'll talk there. She follows him, giving Mona sharp and unfiltered stare as she passes. The woman steps back a foot, clearly uncertain as to whether Gio has a prison shank stuffed inside her bra. Gio rolls her eyes. Harry Rudnick's office is a bit larger, with a view of the parking lot beneath. He shuts the door. Have a seat, he says, tapping the chair in front of his desk before sitting down on the other side. How's Walt? Happy to have you home, I bet. He's good, Gio says, and I'm sure he is, but I need a place of my own, Harry. I wish you'd brought him with you, the manager says, drumming his fingers on the table. We can't give you a mortgage, Georgina. Her back stiffens. And why not? You don't have a job, for one. I'll get one. Geo says, and I don't see why that's the deal breaker if I'm putting down two-thirds of the money. If I don't pay every month, you take the house. Pretty simple. I know you've approved mortgages before based on assets over income. As you can see, I have assets. Yes, I see that. Harry taps on his keyboard, his eyes fixed on the computer screen for a few seconds. But we can't verify where this money came from. Investments. Legitimate investments? Harry asks, then sighs. Sorry. Look, ask Walt to come in with you. His house is paid. He makes great money at the hospital. He can co-sign. No. Why not? 
because he's done enough, Gio says, frustrated that she has to explain it. This is a far cry from the conversation she had with Harry 10 years ago when he approved her to buy her first condo, and three years after that when she sold the condo and upgraded to a house. And I don't need him. I can handle this on my own. You do need him. In this instance, you do. Perhaps you could rent for a while. Harry speaks gently, but all she can hear is his condescension, like the guy at Verizon earlier that morning when she went to get a cell phone. She was approved, but once he looked up her old account, he clearly recognized her name because he smirked. It was all Gio could do not to reach across the counter and claw the look off his face. The fancy rose gold iPhone now sitting in the pocket of her jacket was a small consolation prize at least. Come back tomorrow with Walt, Harry says. He's your dad. Let him help you. There's no point in arguing, and there's no point in checking with another bank. Gio shakes his outstretched hand and leaves, heading back to the parking lot where her white Range Rover is parked. Her dad stored it for her in his garage the entire time Gio was incarcerated. She presses the fob and the doors unlock with a soft beep. The luxury SUV feels ridiculous now. It's a vehicle meant for a young, flashy executive, and Gio feels neither young nor flashy. And she sure as shit isn't an executive anymore. Before she can get in, a shriek comes from her left and she freezes. She exhales when she sees it's just a child and her mother, a few parking spots away. The toddler is crying, protesting having to get inside the car, a large Mercedes-Benz SUV. Another child is already inside the car, strapped securely, but crying because her sister is crying. The father is about to climb into the driver's side, not making any attempt to assist with either kid, when he looks over at Gio. Their eyes lock. Andrew. The shock that registers on his face is almost comical. His mouth forms an O, his eyes bulge, but he's forced to snap out of it a few seconds later when his wife screeches at him to help her. Gio gets inside her car, continuing to observe the family through her dark-tinted windows. Andrew looks different. Gio's former fiancé had just turned 42 when she was arrested, and now he's firmly rooted in middle age. There's a defined bald spot at the top of his pate, and he's heavier than when she last saw him, softer. His wife is at least 15 years younger, dressed in yoga attire. When they finally succeed in getting the squirming toddler into the car, the wife straps on her seatbelt and yells at him. Gio can't hear what she's saying, but there's no mistaking the fury on her face and the look of resignation on his. Gio starts her car and heads for home. She was only months away from marrying Andrew Ship five years ago. The venue was booked, the dress on special order, the wedding invitation set to go out. If she hadn't gone to prison, she would have been his wife. She shudders. Living a life that isn't meant for you is its own version of hell. A new message on the garage door greets her when she gets home, as red and angry as the one her father washed off the day before. She parks at the curb and gets out, once again feeling like everybody in the neighborhood is watching her. The graffiti wasn't there when she left this morning. It's clear that whoever's doing it knows when the house is unoccupied. It's also clear that the vandal gives no fucks whatsoever about desecrating the house during daylight hours. Today's lovely sentiment... 
Burn in hell. Gio enters a four-digit code to open the garage door, her mother's birthday, and is relieved when the door rolls up into the ceiling, taking the words with it. She needs to figure out how to use the pressure washer. She can't let her father see this. Not again. God damn it, she needs to get out of this neighborhood. They hate you, huh? She turns, surprised, and finds a boy just shy of being a teenager sitting on his bike at the end of the driveway. Who's they? She asks, walking back toward him. He shrugs. He's wearing a thin t-shirt, no jacket or hoodie, and jeans. His hair is too long and his sneakers are dirty. But his face is open, non-judgmental, and observant. Whoever did it, he says. Do you know who they are? Gio asks. Because this is my dad's house and this kind of thing is upsetting to him. The boy shrugs again and rolls a bit closer to her. Probably some kid at St. Martin's. I don't know. You're famous, though. You mean infamous. A third shrug. It seems to be the kid's primary form of communication. Whatever. Did you do it? Do what? Kill your friend way back when? He seems to genuinely want to know. He's pedaling in circles now, but not going too far. Gio watches him, not answering. Finally, she says, what do you think? Before he can respond, the front door of the house across the street opens and a woman marches out. She makes a beeline for them. The boy sees her. Shit, he says. That's Mrs. Heller. She's gonna rat me out for cutting class. I gotta go. He stands up on his bike, pumps the pedals, and is almost out of sight before the neighbor steps off the sidewalk and onto the street. You're going to get a new message every day until you move out, you know, Mrs. Heller says when she reaches Gio. A retired elementary school secretary, Mrs. Heller has been living across the street with her husband for as long as Gio can remember. Her face, devoid of makeup, is more wrinkled, but the eyes are no less sharp than when Gio was a kid. Nobody wants you here, Georgina. The Hellers are courteous neighbors. Cliff Heller has a leaf blower and is happy to tidy Walt's yard without asking. They pick up the mail when Walt's out of town, and whenever Gio got sick as a kid, Mrs. Heller would bring over a pot of homemade chicken soup. Were they nice people, though? Cliff, yes. Roberta, not so much. Good morning, Mrs. Heller. Gio doesn't smile, but she keeps her tone pleasant. With the pressure washer out, she presses the button to close the garage door so she can clean it. I don't suppose you saw who did it. It happened in the last couple of hours. Every neighborhood has that one busybody who knows everybody's business and seems more invested than everyone else in keeping the riffraff out. Roberta Heller is that neighbor on steroids. Blessed or cursed with an overdeveloped sense of justice, Mrs. Heller is the first to condemn you for anything you've done wrong. Gio used to fear her bad side. It doesn't scare her anymore. I obviously don't approve of this, Mrs. Heller said, jerking her coffee mug in the direction of the garage and almost spilling its contents. But people are upset with you, Georgina. Surely you understand that. I can't imagine why Walt would have you come back here. All your presence does is remind people of something they don't want to remember. I won't be here long, Gio says. Glad to hear it. I've always liked your father, you know, Mrs. Heller says. Cliff, too. Walt is a good man, and he did his best trying to raise you, but in my opinion, he wasn't home enough. 
Damn shame you lost your mother as young as you did. You might have made some different choices. Don't talk about my mother. The words are out before Gio can stop herself. How dare you? If it were anyone else, they might have backed off. But not Roberta Heller. The old woman's eyes gleam and she steps forward, getting right in Gio's face. I used to think you were a good kid. The woman is so close, Gio can smell the stale coffee on her breath. But you surprised us all, didn't you? Turned out you were a wild one and nobody knew. You had everybody fooled. Her neighbor is wrong. Gio had been a good kid. She never did drugs, not even pot. She only tried smoking cigarettes once, taking exactly one puff of a Marlboro Light after school in seventh grade, and only because Angela insisted. She felt so sick afterward that she never tried it again. She was drunk twice in high school. The first time was at Angela's house, just the two of them, when her parents were away for the weekend. The second time was the night her best friend died. No, she wasn't a wild one. The only wild thing Gio ever did was Calvin. In fairness to Mrs. Heller, though, that was probably more than enough. She shakes her head at Gio, her face an expression of dramatic disappointment. Your mother would be so dismayed to see you now. Gio's fists clench, and she forces herself to take a deep breath, counting to five. It feels like eternity. She relaxes her hands. You've been good to my dad, Mrs. Heller, she says quietly. So I'll let that slide. Now please get out of our driveway. Your old boyfriend went on to rape and murder how many more women? The woman isn't done yet. If anything, she's getting herself worked up even more. Her mug is shaking, but not from old age palsy. She's angry. Three, wasn't it? Which wouldn't have happened if you'd told the truth all those years ago. And now another woman and a little boy, a baby, are dead because he escaped from prison. How do you sleep at night? Mrs. Heller, you should be ashamed of yourself. We don't want you here. Nobody in the neighborhood wants you here, so move out as quick as you can. Your father doesn't deserve to go through any more than he already has. He loves you, Georgina, which blinds him to who you really are. And who am I? The devil, with a pretty face and a showy car. Gio opens her mouth to retort, but then closes it again. What's the point? Gio served her time. She lost her job. She lost her fiance. Wherever she goes for the rest of her life, she's a Google hit away from everybody knowing the terrible thing she did. So fuck this woman. She didn't even know Angela Wong. Fuck Roberta Heller and her self-righteousness and her bad breath. Get off my father's property, Gio says, before I remove you myself. You are trespass. She never gets a chance to finish her sentence because the woman throws what's left of her coffee right into Gio's face. Fortunately, the liquid's not too hot, but it does hit Gio in the eyes while they're open, which stings like hell. Some of it lands in her mouth, too, and she can taste it. No cream or sugar, just bitter, like Roberta Heller. If this had happened the day before, she'd have the woman on the ground in a chokehold. But this isn't prison. Roberta! Cliff Heller is running across the street toward them, and by the look on his face, he saw the whole thing. He's aghast when he reaches his wife, taking her by the arm and shaking her a little. 
What are you doing? You stop this. What's the matter with you? I don't want her here, Cliff, Mrs. Heller spits, shaking her husband's arm off while still glaring at Geo. She's a menace. We're not safe. I don't know what her connection is to the dead bodies in the woods. Stop that now. There's no connection. Cliff Heller looks at Geo, sees her face and shirt covered in coffee, and digs into his pocket. He hands her a wrinkled handkerchief, and Geo takes it without comment, wiping her face as best she can. She's been in prison. She can't have contact with anyone while she's in there. She's not involved in what happened to those people. You don't know that, Mrs. Heller, emboldened by her outrage, takes another step toward Geo. Her husband holds her back. Nobody knows anything about who she really is. You ought to be ashamed of yourself, she says again. I am ashamed, Geo says. How dare you come back here? Roberta Heller's voice is a few decibels shy of a shriek. Haven't you done enough? Please, Cliff Heller says, but he's speaking to Geo now. Please, go inside the house. Leave the pressure washer out. I'll clean your garage door. I would have offered anyway. Please, Georgina. She nods and leaves the man to deal with his obnoxious wife. They continue to argue in the driveway for another moment, and then finally Mrs. Heller stomps back across the street, bathed in her own indignation. Mr. Heller, glancing around furtively in embarrassment, turns on the pressure washer. Her father is home for lunch an hour later, armed with tacos and french fries. Gio, dressed in a clean shirt, accepts the food gratefully. When Walt asks her how her morning's been, she shows him her new cell phone, almost identical to the one he owns. She doesn't mention the bank or the graffiti or Roberta Heller. If he noticed the wet driveway when he pulled in, he doesn't say anything. When they're finished eating, she cleans up. I have to get back to the hospital, he says with some regret. What will you do for the rest of today? I thought I'd take a walk, she answers, to Rose Hill. It's the cemetery where her mother is buried, and that coaxes a smile out of the normally stoic Walt. Grace Gallardo Shaw is buried under a tree, her headstone made of polished white marble. It's the prettiest spot on the hill. Stop at the corner market and bring her some daisies, he says, squeezing her arm. You remember how much she loved daisies. Gio nods and returns the smile. She doesn't remember, she was too little, but she knows it comforts her dad to believe that she does. At the market on the way to the cemetery, she picks out two different bouquets of flowers from the bins out front, paying in cash because her old debit card is expired and she forgot to get a new one at the bank. The daisies, of course, are for her mother. The wildflowers, colorful and fiery with their pinks and oranges and yellows, are for Angela. She too is buried at Rose Hill, but on the other side. Things were testy with Angela ever since their argument at practice the week before. But Gio took Calvin's advice and kept her distance. Angela lived for drama, some of it real and most of it imagined, and it was best to let her cool off. On the third day, unable to stand it any longer, Gio worked up the courage to ring Angela's doorbell after school, two Slurpees from the 7-Eleven in hand. Grape for Angela, of course. 
Blue Raspberry for Geo. She wasn't entirely surprised when Kaiser opened the door. The poor guy had been trying to get them to speak to each other since their fight without success. Thank fucking God, he said when he saw her. I can't take it anymore. Where's Ange? In the kitchen, looking in the fridge at food she won't allow herself to eat. She's doing her whole I'm so fat thing right now. Come on in. He stood aside to let Gio in, nodding his approval at the oversized containers filled with artificially flavored slush. She might drink that, though. Where's my big gulp? Didn't know you'd be here. She stepped in and stood in the entryway awkwardly, unsure what to do. Angela came around the corner, stopping in her tracks when she saw Gio. Peace offering, Gio said, holding out the grape Slurpee. She must have been squeezing too hard because the lid popped off and grape slush seeped out the top and onto her hand. Oh, nice. Come on in and make a mess, why don't you? Angela had her high horse voice going, as if nobody had ever spilled anything before. Kaiser looked back and forth between the two of them. I'll get some paper towels, he said, backing away. When I get back in 30 seconds, I fully expect that the two of you will have made up because you're both killing me right now. Angela rolled her eyes and Kaiser disappeared down the hallway. I came by to bring you this. Gio offered her the Slurpee. It was dripping onto the floor, but Angela didn't take it. And to say that I'm sorry. Everything you said was right. I haven't been myself lately, and that needs to change. I've been a shitty friend. Yes, you've been a bitch, Angela stated bluntly. Then her demeanor softened. But I guess I was too. I shouldn't have yelled at you in front of the other girls. That wasn't cool. Thank God, Kaiser said, coming back with a towel. Is the great fight of St. Martin's finally over? He took Angela's drink and wiped it, then handed Gio the towel so she could clean the floor. Shut up, Kai, Angela said absently. The two girls stared at each other. Finally, Angela shrugged and took the Slurpee, taking a long sip. Yeah, okay, it's over. Hug it out, Kaiser said. When they didn't move, he engulfed them both in a bear hug. Skinny arms wrapped around them, squeezing them tight, and the three of them stood like that for a moment. Nobody said anything. Then, Kaiser being Kaiser, he ruined it. Every man's fantasy right here, he quipped. Ange, where's your camera? Let's take a picture. They broke apart, and Angela smacked him on the arm. But she was smiling, and so was Gio. She'd forgotten how much she'd missed this the weird and comforting dynamic of the three of them. Angela's camera was in the kitchen, and Kaiser grabbed it, taking a picture of them together in the hallway mirror. I'm ordering pizza, he announced, traipsing back down the hallway. There was a phone in the living room. The two girls exchanged a look and followed. They spent the next few hours eating dominoes and fooling around with Angela's new camera. It was a brand new Nikon, something her father had won in a golf tournament but had no use for, and which he'd bestowed upon his daughter as if he'd picked out the gift on purpose. They snapped a bunch of silly pictures, wasting film until Kaiser had to go. He likes you, Angela said when he was gone. They were up in her bedroom now, listening to one of her mixtapes. Pearl Jam, Alanis Morissette, no doubt. And not just as a friend. I know, Gio said, feeling a little bad. 
He hates Calvin. I know, she said again, and this made her feel worse. Gio had met Kaiser on the first day of freshman year at St. Martin's. He sat behind her in science and wouldn't stop kicking the back of her chair, even though she'd turned around and glared at him twice. After class, he followed her down the hallway, a little too closely. She was about to accuse him of bothering her until she realized his locker was right beside hers. He spent the rest of the year annoying the hell out of her, but along the way, she learned to accept his friendship. He gave it so damned freely with no expectation of anything in return except kindness. Angela didn't know what to do with Kaiser at first. His social status was only barely acceptable thanks to his prowess on the soccer field and basketball court, and he'd have been reasonably cute if he didn't have acne on his jaw and braces. But over time, he grew on her, too. He was mild-mannered and unassuming, and he laughed at her jokes. He's thinking of dating someone now, Angela said. She was lying upside down on the bed, her legs resting against the headboard. Gio was sitting on the carpet, legs crossed near the stereo. Now that you're with Calvin and there's officially no hope. Angela paused for dramatic effect, then said, Barb Palanco. Backseat Barbie? Gio was horrified. No, you tell him no way. I'm not telling him shit, her friend said with a laugh. Au contraire, I told him to go for it. The guy deserves to get laid. Gio knew Barb a little bit from gym class, and the truth was she didn't think the girl was a slut at all. It was a nasty rumor started by Barb's ex-boyfriend after she dumped him, and Gio felt slightly ashamed for saying the unfortunate nickname out loud. Deep down, she knew why she did. She was a tiny little bit jealous. She'd never had to share Kaiser with anyone but Angela, and even so, not really. Out loud, she said, you're right, it's great. Good for him. Angela rolled over to look at her. So you don't care? I thought you liked that he pines for you. If he has a girlfriend, he won't be around as much. She frowned. You know what? Now that I think about it, you both suck. I would never ignore either of you for a guy. Gio couldn't argue, because it was true. God knows Angela had her flaws. She was moody, critical, and bossy as hell but not once had she ever allowed a boy to come between them. And that was saying a lot, considering how many boys she had chasing her at any one time. What Gio had been doing with Calvin was a direct violation of girl code, a big offense. She had a lot of making up to do. You were right about my head being up my ass. She joined Angela on the bed, propping her legs up on the headboard as well. Our fight? That was a wake-up call. I don't want to throw my whole life away for a guy. My grades are slipping. My dad doesn't know anything about Calvin, and I've been lying to him about where I go. And now I'm off cheer. It's got to stop. It's just, I've never felt this way about a guy before. You know me, Ange. I don't go crazy. I don't get stupid. But with Calvin, I can't control it. I want to be with him all the time, and I know it's not healthy. You guys had sex yet? Angela asked, her voice casual. No. Seriously? She seemed genuinely surprised. I figured all the orgasms were messing with your brain. I didn't say I wasn't having orgasms, Gio said, her face reddening instantly. She had never been completely comfortable discussing sex, even with Angela, who had lost her virginity the year before and was completely open to talking about it. 
It felt even weirder because it was Calvin. She loved him, and she believed that certain things should stay private. However, she sensed that holding back about her relationship with him was not the way to go, considering the problems it had already caused. Gio was the one who had changed, who had shut Angela out. She had to let her best friend be part of what was happening with her boyfriend. We do other stuff. Does he go down on you? Angela's grin was knowing and wicked. Ange, Gio said, pained. But a few seconds later, she pulled a pillow over her face. Yes, her voice was muffled. All the time. He, he likes it. Angela cackled. <laughs> no wonder you disappeared. But I get it. Has he tried talking you into going all the way? Gio moved the pillow. No, actually. He says it should only happen when I'm ready. And I think I'm getting there. You only get one first time, Angela said, her voice matter of fact. Don't do what I did and waste it on the wrong person. A comfortable silence fell between them, and Gio couldn't help but smile. It was starting to feel like it used to, and she was grateful for the second chance. It only proved she was happier when she had her shit together. Her grades, for instance, needed to be the focus from now on. She had midterms coming up, and she couldn't afford to blow it. Bring Calvin to the party at Chad's this Friday, Angela said. If he wants to be with a 16-year-old, then he needs to see what your life is like. No more bullshit compartmentalizing. I already asked him, Gio said with a sigh. He won't go to any high school parties. He said he'd feel stupid because he'll be three years older than the oldest guy. So I told him I didn't want to go to bars with him anymore because I hate being five years younger than the youngest girl. She looked up at the ceiling. It's, uh, something we argue about a lot. He doesn't hit you, does he? Angela said. Her tone was nonchalant, but Gio could detect the concern behind it. What? No. Gio continued to stare at the ceiling. Of course not. Tess said she noticed bruises on your arm during practice a couple weeks ago. She said they looked like fingers, like someone gripped you too hard. Tess is making shit up because she wants to be your new bestie. Gio spoke fiercely, glaring at her friend. The bruises were high up on her arm, close to her shoulder, and she hoped that Angela wouldn't insist on checking. Anyone with two eyes can see that. Her friend raised an eyebrow. Gio was being too defensive. If he was hitting me, I would tell you, she said, softening her tone. To her own ears, she sounded completely sincere. I know that shit's not okay. The sad part was, she did, too. Angela was quiet another moment. Okay, she said. Well, if he's going to be in your life, that means he's going to be in my life. So I guess I should at least try to get to know him. Plan something this weekend so we can all hang out, but not Friday. Friday's the football game and Chad's party, and you're doing both because we're fucking 16 and that's the shit we do. Now get up. I'll help you with your split jump. We have to work off that pizza. I'm back on the squad? Gio held her breath. Yes, bitch. Angela said with a smile. Now up. I love you, but your thighs are getting fat. And who else would have the balls to tell you that but me? They both got drunk at Chad's party. It was unintended. Gio didn't even like alcohol, but Friday was a long day, and she hadn't eaten since lunch. Chad Fenton, not a football player or athlete of any kind, 
was popular at St. Martin's for exactly two reasons. His epic parties, because his parents were never home, and his fruit punch, because his college dropout brother was happy to buy all his booze. It was the fruit that did Geo in. Chad made his infamous punch in a giant plastic paint barrel, adding watermelon, cantaloupe, strawberries, orange slices, and pineapple to water, club soda, and vodka. Lots of vodka. He made it in the morning, so that by the time people started coming over, the fruit was saturated with alcohol. Geo, starving, passed on the beer, but munched on the fruit. By 11 p.m., she was hammered. The music was loud and pulsing, Montel Jordan and R. Kelly blasting through speakers set up all around the house. For the first time in months, Geo felt like herself. She was surrounded by people her own age, listening to music she liked, not feeling like she had to apologize for being too young or too busy with school. It was funny how when she was around Calvin, she felt like a totally different person. And while she liked who she was around him, sexy, slightly out of control, she liked being this person, too. Still, she missed him. She had no idea where Angela ended up, and she wandered around the large house for a few minutes, trying not to look as drunk as she felt. She eventually found her best friend in the den at the back of the house. She was nestled in the lap of Mike Bennett, St. Martin's starting quarterback, her short dress hiked up to expose her long, lean thighs. Gio was wearing a similar dress, but everything always looked better on Angela. Gio watched them kiss for a few seconds, more amused than surprised. The two had an on-again, off-again relationship, and the on times seemed to be more out of obligation to their respective statuses as the football star and cheer captain. People assumed they should date, so they did. However, Angela was pretty damn sure Mike was gay. He sometimes lost his erection with her, something she swore never happened with any other guy. And a few months ago, in his bedroom, she'd found a gay porn magazine tucked in his gym bag under the bed. When she'd confronted him, he'd laughed it off, saying that one of the guys on the team must have stuck it there as a joke. She'd broken it off shortly after. I'm nobody's beard, she'd told Gio. But he is the quarterback. If I don't have anyone to go to prom with, it'll be him. You would never guess he was gay now, the way his tongue was rammed down her friend's throat. Gio headed over to the two of them, the room spinning a bit and almost tripped on the way there. She tapped Angela on the shoulder. And I'm gonna go. Her friend looked up, lips shiny with Mike's saliva. Why, it's only 11. The room spun again, and Gio placed a hand on the wall to support herself. I don't feel so great. Holy shit, you're wasted. I told you not to eat the fruit. Angela looked back at Mike, then up at Gio. How are you getting home? I'll walk, Gio said. I need the air. If you need to go with her, that's cool, Mike said, not sounding particularly disappointed. It made Gio think Angela was right about him. You didn't get a girl to sit on your lap and make out with you, let alone the most beautiful girl in school, and then let her go home early without a hint of protest. I'm really okay, Gio said. Stay where you are. I'll call you tomorrow. She found her coat underneath a stack of other coats in the front living room and slipped it on as Kaiser was coming through the front door. He was with Barb Polanco, and they were holding hands. Gio felt a slight sting, but it passed. She had a boyfriend, after all. Why couldn't Kaiser have a girlfriend? 
Because, her brain said stubbornly, because he's supposed to be in love with you forever and ever. That's the way this is supposed to work. A completely selfish thought, but it's how she felt nonetheless. Heading out already? Kaiser said to her, helping Barb out of her coat. Barb smiled shyly at Gio. She looked even blonder this week than she had the week before. Since when did Kaiser like blondes? Gio forced herself to smile back. Yeah, I'm wiped. Looking at her closely, he frowned. You drunk? Only a little, she said. Did you eat the fruit? I'm fine, Gio said, annoyed. I'll see you guys Monday. How are you getting home? She'll be okay, Barb said to him. She's got it handled. Let's go get a drink. One minute, he said to her, handing her back her coat. Gio, let's go talk. Gio rolled her eyes. I'm fine, Kai, she said again, but he took her by the elbow and led her to the laundry room down the hall, leaving Barb standing by herself in the front hallway holding her coat. He shut the door, muting the music pulsing throughout the rest of the house. Gio leaned against the dryer and looked up at him. The room smelled fresh, like laundry detergent and fabric softener and the lavender sachets that Chad's mom kept in a wicker bowl on one of the shelves. Shouldn't you be with your girlfriend? She's not my girlfriend, he said, looking down at her with concern. I'm a little drunk, so what? The room was spinning. I just need to lie down. I'll take you home. Gio shook her head. Not necessary. Besides, I don't think Barb would appreciate it. Are you okay with that? He said. About me and Barb? Why would you even ask me that? She frowned. The lights in the laundry room were bright, and she had to squint to look up at him. I didn't ask you what you thought about me and Calvin. I know you didn't. But I'll tell you what I think if you want me to. Kai, come on. Gio took a step toward the door, but he barred her way. Why can't it be me and you? He said, moving close to her. Their hips were almost touching. He placed a hand on her back, sliding it up underneath her hair until it was cupping the back of her neck. You have to know how I feel about you. Because we're best friends, she said. Had he always been this cute? Or was it because he had a girlfriend now? His blue eyes were locked on hers. He had long eyelashes. That should be the reason why, not the reason why not, he said. What about Barb and Calvin? Well, I like Barb, he said, but didn't continue. Well, I love Calvin, she said. He dropped his hand. That hurt him. She could see it in his face. But what was she supposed to do, lie? Suddenly he moved in, and his lips were on hers. They were surprisingly soft, filled with urgency. Gio didn't respond at first, but then she did, opening her mouth. His hands were on the sides of her face, and he kissed her like she was the only person who existed to him. He tasted so different from Calvin. Sweeter, younger, gentler which was exactly how he was. She felt herself responding, leaning into him, and it was a whole different feeling. 
With Calvin, there was never anything physical that wasn't accompanied by some degree of guilt. Guilt that he was too old, guilt that he was taking over her life, guilt that she was hiding him from her father. With Kaiser, there was none of that. She was fully herself, and she felt safe. Kaiser would never hurt her, never push her to be anything other than who she was. But she had the capacity to shred him to pieces. No. She pushed him away. Kai, I can't. Gio. His breath was coming fast, his face flushed. Barb's waiting for you. Let's talk about this. She moved past him and opened the laundry room door. The music flooded back in, surrounding them, taking away the intimacy. At the end of the hallway, Barb was talking to another girl, looking over her shoulder periodically at the laundry room. When she saw Kaiser, she looked relieved. She's a nice girl, Kai, Gio said. Go, have fun. And what about you? Kaiser was staring at her, his expression a blend of frustration and longing. This thing with Calvin, it's real? I love him, she said again. And if you love me, you'll be happy for me. Like I'm happy for you. She left the laundry room, walking quickly down the hallway and back to the front door. She gave Barb's arm a quick squeeze before she left. He's all yours, Gio said. The cold night air blasted her in the face when she left the house. Chad Fenton's parties usually went on long past midnight, but she was fading fast. Her father was working at the hospital tonight, and Calvin was expecting her to stop by his place for a bit, but she was too tired to go over there now. Oh well, they could fight about it tomorrow. There was a presence behind her on the sidewalk, and she turned around. Angela was a few steps back and hustling to catch up, the wind whipping her unbuttoned coat back. Neither one of them in their short dresses was dressed appropriately for this weather, which was colder than usual. What are you doing? Gio said in surprise. I thought you were staying. Fuck him, Angela said breathlessly, finally catching up. She was carrying her oversized purse, and she switched it from her left shoulder to the right. Her camera must be inside it. Gio had seen her snapping pictures of everyone earlier that night. He is so gay. His tongue was doing all the right things, but his dick? Like an overcooked spaghetti noodle. Gio had to laugh. We're still going to prom, though, assuming nobody better comes along. For me, not him. I'm as good as it gets as far as he's concerned. Angela said this matter-of-factly without a trace of arrogance. When it came to her social status, she was practical. If Mike Bennett was gay and in the closet, then he needed her to keep up appearances. Which was fine as long as there was something in it for her. What about your car? Gio said, the wind biting her bare legs. Still at Chad's. I've had three beers. Puffs of white breath accompanied Angela's words. I can't drive home like this. My dad will be in the kitchen playing poker with his golf buddies and he'll smell me. I'll come back for the car in the morning. My parents think I'm sleeping at your place anyway, so they won't even know. I told my dad I was sleeping at your place so I could stay out late. Gio shivered under her thin coat. Do you have an extra sweater in your bag? No, all I have is my camera. It weighs a ton. Angela thought for a moment. Let's go to Calvin's. Gio gave her a side glance. Seriously? Her best friend shrugged. 
I told you I was willing to get to know him and I meant it. Besides, maybe he can call Jonas to come over and we can all hang out. It would be nice to make out with a guy I can actually turn on. Gio considered it. She was tired, but she did promise Calvin she'd go over there. Let's go this way then. It'll take us 20 minutes to walk there. I should call him. Nat, let's surprise him, Angela said. Besides, I don't want to go back to Chad's. When I left, Kai was in the corner with backseat Barbie. Swear to God, her hands were down his pants. Shut up, Gio said. I don't want to know that. Knew it bothered you. Her friend's voice was triumphant. Gio considered telling her about the kiss in the laundry room, then decided against it. That was between her and Kaiser. Some things were private, after all. Calvin lived in a house on Trelawney Street, in a two-story craftsman that had been converted into three apartments. The main floor housed an unmarried couple with a baby, and the apartment on the second floor was shared by two sisters in their 30s, both single, both of whom had hit on Calvin numerous times. He lived in the small studio above the garage. It used to be where the owner practiced his drums, and it was fully soundproofed. The studio had a separate entrance at the back, and Gio and Angela giggled as they made their way up the steep steps. The lights were off inside the apartment, but Gio could see the flickering of the TV behind the window blinds. She rapped on the door and waited. No answer. Sure he's home? Angela asked. His car's parked on the street. Gio rapped again, and a few seconds later, the light above the door flicked on. Calvin opened the door, hair slightly disheveled, wearing an old pair of low-slung jeans and nothing else. He had a beer in one hand. The light reflected off his lean stomach, highlighting every ab muscle. He looked like a god. Angela's eyes trailed up and down his body. Well, fuck me, she said. Calvin raised an eyebrow. So this is what you've been busy with, Angela said, more to herself than to Gio. I get it now. You gonna let us in, cowboy? Because it's freezing out. You're hot, but you're not that hot. That's a matter of opinion, Calvin said, standing to the side so they could enter. Watch your step. Part of the doormat is sticking up. Angela went first, giving Calvin a knowing look as she passed him. Gio hesitated her mind flashing back to Kaiser in the laundry room. The smell of those lavender sachets as he kissed her, the way he felt against her, loving and urgent and gentle. Then she forced her best friend out of her mind, stepping carefully but purposefully over the threshold and into Calvin's domain. That's all for now. Thank you for listening. Make sure to follow this podcast to get the next episode. Or if you just can't wait, you can buy the audiobook of Jar of Hearts wherever books or audiobooks are sold. Thank you.